Yeah, so the lesson there is when God says something weird in the middle of the service, you just listen. Wow. That is so awesome. So amazing. Man, thank you, Jesus. God's just so good, isn't he? So good. And it's so good just to see how God is, is working in just some, some very, very cool ways. Um, I had uh, the last uh, couple weeks, as you, you know, Becky and I have been away, and uh, I just got to say a big thank you to John in Rome who filled in and did an amazing job preaching. And just, uh, yeah, like Heather said, we, ha- we have some incredible communicators in our church. And I know Rome is kind of off at college and all that stuff, but, but we, we are blessed. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what God is going to do. I think, I think there are some of you in, in here right now that don't even know you're a communicator. And just as Kristen is standing up here talking, I'm like, you might not even know it, but God's got something in store for you, and he's got something he's putting in your heart to share, and, and I don't know how he wants to use that, but, but he will in his time, in his way. But we, we're blessed with people that love Jesus, love to tell about Jesus and what Jesus is doing, and so, yeah, it's so, so good. But um, yeah, this past, uh, this past week, Becky and I were, we were actually... As a lot of you have heard, it's our 25th anniversary this year, and so we got away to, um, uh, we were way over on the other side of the the continent um, in Mexico, and we hung out in this little tiny, tiny town at a resort, and uh, we like to get, when we get away like this, and we try to do this every, every several years or so, and uh, the first time we did it was for our 10-year anniversary, and we just saw how it was for, for our, our marriage, it was just like a pivotal moment for us, and God did some amazing things and brought us back together. And so we try to do this um, occasionally. We put all the responsibilities aside and just kind of enjoy one another and get to know one another a little bit more. And, um, but, but here's the thing. When you've been married for 25 years, you, you know most of what, you, you know a lot about the person that you're married to, hopefully, after, <laughs> after 25 years. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and, and unlike, you know, when you first start to date, you're, you're just spending those first a few days and weeks and months just kind of really getting to know the, the other person and trying to get to know who they are and what they value and their favorite color and all that kind of stuff. Well, when it's been 25 years, there's, there's really not a whole lot of new information to discover about one another, right? And so, um, and, and, and so it can actually lead to these moments where you're sitting down and you're like, what are we going to talk about? Especially when you're like, we're going to put responsibilities aside and for now and just kind of enjoy each other. And, and, and so you're kind of sitting down, and you're going, okay, what are we going to talk about? And you, you, you look around the room, the restaurant or whatever, and you notice that a lot of other couples are kind of in the same place, just kind of sitting there, staring at each other, like, what are we going to talk about? And so I had the thought, okay, I'm going to go online. We were at this uh, marriage retreat a year ago, and at this retreat, they had all these different questions that they would have us sit, ask each other during dinner time. And so I thought, okay, that was kind of cool, so I'm going to go online. I Googled something to the effect of questions that couples have been married for a long time can ask each other to get to know each other more, something like that. And so I had this list, and we sat down, and uh, we brought it out, and we were asking each other these questions at one of our dinners. And on the, the question at the very top was, was this. When have you felt the most loved by me? That's kind of a good question, hey? Spouses, I encourage you, ask that question. When, ha- when have you felt the most loved by me? Not, to, not right now, but later on today or whatever. When have you felt the most loved by me? And so uh, Becky asked me, or I asked her first, and uh, then she asked me. And, and as I pondered the question, I thought about all the times that I've felt loved by her over the years. 
know, there's the times where she's just made this amazing meal for me, and it's true. The weight of a man's heart is through his belly, and I'm, I'm like one of those guys. And you just feel, I felt so loved. Or there's the times where we're just walking along, maybe, maybe on, down at Hovander or, or walking through town or whatever, just holding hands, just together, and just feeling, feeling like, okay, I, I just know that, that I'm, I'm loved by her. Or all the times that she's told me that she loves me or some of the gifts that she's given me or how she's looked after me when I'm sick. And you know us guys, when we're sick, we can just become the biggest babies on the planet. <laughs> but she, she, she cares about me and she looks after me. And, and there's been so many times that I've, I've felt loved by her. And I know you're, a lot of you are like, hey, Rich, enough with the mush already. Like, let's just move on with the sermon. But so many times where I've felt loved by her, that I was, okay, well, what is, what's the, the, the time where I've felt the most loved? And then I had a thought. And as soon as I thought this, I'm like, okay, yeah, that is definitely it. That, those are the moments that I have felt most loved by her. And the moments where I've felt and have just known that Becky loves me are those times where I didn't deserve to be loved, but she loved me anyway. So the time that I had, I confessed to her that I had squandered thousands of dollars in a secret gambling addiction, and she loved me anyway. Or the times that I, I talked disrespectfully to her or raised my voice at her, and yet she still showed me kindness and patience or the times where I was self-centered, and I, I look back on some of our early years, and I don't, I just, I don't, I don't get the love that she had for centered after she'd been up all night with kids, and then I, I would have the, the ignorance or the pride or whatever to think that, that, that I needed to have some me time, and she needed to look after whatever, but just uh, the, the levels of self-centeredness, and yet she would love me anyway, and it's been during those times. When my brokenness and my flaws and my mistakes and my failures, when those have been put on display and your, your spouse sees those like nobody else, when those have been put on display and yet she loves me anyways, that's when I've felt the most loved by, by her. And if I were asked the same question about God's love, when, I have, when, have, when have I felt the most loved by God, my answer would actually be the exact same. It's when he's shown me his love in a way that I just don't deserve. When he has loved me and shown me his kindness and his goodness in moments when I just don't deserve it. And, and guess what? God is a, a God who does this over and over and over and over again. We turn our backs on him, and he loves us by pursuing us anyway. We fail and he comes to our rescue, and, and, he, and he, he helps us and gives us his strength. We disobey, and, and guess what? He's there ready to forgive. We doubt him, and he's understanding. We, we sin, not just once, not just twice, but in a way where we can just become enslaved to it. And what does God do? The Bible says that he demonstrates his love for us by laying down his life, even going to the cross so that we can be set free. And the Bible states it plainly like this. It says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. I'm going to read that one more time because it's so good. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, 
Go look outside today on this blue sky day. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And this is the essence of what we call the gospel. The gospel. He doesn't treat us as we deserve, but instead he showers us with his love. He even goes to the cross if that's what it, what it takes. It's the gospel. And we have a name for, for this trait of God that he shows us over and over again, where he treats us in a way that we don't deserve. We call it God's grace. And, 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 and this morning, what I want to talk about is how this gospel of grace is far better than we could ever imagine. Far better. And, I, you know, I, I've spent most of my life in the church. I spent most of my life, my, my dad's a pastor. Um, I heard that word gospel over and over and over. I heard about grace over and over and over again. I heard about the cross over and over again uh, so many times. But I didn't actually really know about how good and how powerful the gospel is until I was probably in my mid-30s. And what, what happens, though, is we, we, we lose sight of what it's all about. And we lose sight of how good it is, how his, his grace, it doesn't run out when you reach so many sins. It's limitless. It doesn't go away when you do what we might call big sins. His grace has no limit. There's, there's nothing that's too big for God. God's grace is boundless. It's unrestricted. It's unaffected by the number of sins in our life. It's unaffected by the magnitude of the sin. You can't exhaust God's grace. You can't limit God's grace. The supply is endless. His grace, the gospel message, it is far better than you could ever imagine. But for some reason, we the gospel it can lose its, its weight and its significance and its power in our lives, or we, we just kind of drift away from it. We limit it. We forget it. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to read a story in the Bible about a man who forgot the power of the gospel. He put a cap on God's grace. And I don't know why, but I am super dry this morning. And the man's name is Peter. And Peter's the guy that you would think of all the people in the Bible that would forget about God's grace, the power of the gospel. You, think, you would think that Peter would probably be the last guy. I mean, this is the guy that had completely turned his back on and denied Jesus three times. You know, Jesus comes back and reinstates him. Peter had seen the power of God's grace. But Peter, um, he, he forgot about the power of, of the gospel, the power of the gospel. And so we're going to read a story this morning about Peter, and before you read the story in the Bible, I want to just give you a little bit of context around this story. Um, it's, it takes place after Jesus has been on earth and he's gone. He's ascended back up into heaven. Um, the church has experienced Pentecost, and it is exploding. People all over that area of the world are coming to faith in Christ. The church is, is growing like crazy. It's gone from being 120 people to thousands of people. It started off in Jerusalem, but now it has spread further out, and it's spread to um, a, a particular city that we're going to talk about this morning called Antioch. And Antioch, um, at the time, is, is the third largest city in the whole entire Roman Empire. It's a beautiful city. It's an important city in, in the world at that time. It's so splendid and important that it's actually known as the Rome of the East. And in Antioch, Revival. We pray about revival. We pray about awakening and God coming along and, 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 and just making himself known, not just in our church, but in our city, in our county, and, and people coming to Christ and finding freedom. We pray about that. Well, that's happening in the city of Antioch. Revival is breaking out in the city, 
And it's not just uh, the Jewish people of the day, but it's also Gentile people. And this is important to note because typically back in that day, there was a lot of tension between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. Jews did not like Gentiles. Um, Gentiles is basically anybody that's not Jew. And Gentiles did not like the Jewish people. Um, they didn't hang out together, together. They didn't go on family vacations together. They did not gather together to worship. And uh, most importantly of all, they did not eat together. You just would, Jews, you would not find Jews and Gentiles eating together. And, and one of the most significant uh, religious rules for Jewish, Jewish people was that you just didn't do that. You did not eat with the Gentiles. They were so adamant against eating with the Gentiles and mingling with the Gentiles that at one point in history, foreign Gentiles who had conquered Israel tried forcing Jewish people to kind of integrate by doing, among other things, eating together. And many Jewish people actually chose death over, over that. It was like, uh, it became known as this thing called the Maccabean Revolt, and it was like they said, okay, we would rather die than have a barbecue with Gentile people. We're, we're just not doing that. But in Antioch, it's, it's amazing. Jews and Gentiles are both coming to Christ in droves. The church is growing rapidly, and they reach this point where they're in need of, need of some leadership and they're in need of some teaching. There's this fledgling church, and so they, they call for this man named Barnabas. Barnabas comes. Eventually, Barnabas calls for Paul, and Paul comes. And when they arrive, they notice something extraordinary. Jews and Gentiles in Antioch are so affected by the gospel that they are, there's this beautiful harmony, and they're even doing crazy things like eating together. They're showing each other incredible grace, even though they're different, even though traditionally they have no grace towards one another. This group of people has been so transformed by the love and the grace and the goodness and the power of Jesus that they, that they are just showing this amazing love and grace to, to one another. It's this beautiful scene that Paul shows up to here in Antioch. But pretty soon, this beautiful harmony that they have, this love and grace that they're showing towards one another is going to come to a screeching halt. And the reason is actually a person, and that person is Peter. So Barnabas goes to Antioch from Jerusalem, and then Paul goes, and then pretty soon Peter shows up. It's, it's kind of like the, the church really started in Jerusalem, but all the leaders down there are catching wind of all that God's doing in Antioch, and they just, they just have to go up there and see what, what's going on. Well, pretty soon it's Peter's turn to go up there and see what, what's happening. And at first, he's right in there. He's eating and drinking with all his new Gentile friends. But before long, some other church leaders from Jerusalem show up. And Paul writes about what, what happens. But afterward, when some friends of James, this is one of the church leaders in Jerusalem, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who, insist, who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. Now, just to give you a little bit more context to what's happening here, one of the reasons, so maybe you're going, okay, why did Jews and Gentiles, why, why did they not really hang out together? Like, why, why did they just not mix? Like, what, what, what was going on there? Um, one of the reasons that they didn't eat together is because Jews didn't like that Gentiles didn't follow the religious rules that they had. One of them being, and a big one, being circumcision. 
And so in turn, what they would end up doing is they would end up treating th these Gentiles kind of like second-class citizens. And um, Jews traditionally would only associate with Gentiles once they kind of got their act together and they got cleaned up and they started to behave the same way that they would behave, following the same rules. But the gospel message is, is, is that it's not about religious, it's not religious rules. And, and I hope that in the last 14 years, like if there's any message that, that I would hope just lingers with you long after I'm gone, is that the gospel is not about following a bunch of religious rules. It's not about following a bunch of requirements. It's not about checking off a bunch of tr uh, Christian duties that, 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 that you've learned from your parents and your grandparents. No, the, the gospel is, is simply, it's that the, the grace of God through faith, that is what saves us. And what happens when you understand that is that God's grace, it breaks down religious barriers, breaks down all kinds of barriers. And Paul understands this, and it's why he would later write these important words. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. That's it. It is not about how well you follow religious rules. It's not about whether or not your family calls themselves a Christian. It's not even about whether or not you get baptized. It's not about—that is not the stuff that saves you. It is it's simply coming to Jesus— in all of our mess, in all of our brokenness, in all of our sin, in all of our failure, we come to Jesus and we just, we put our faith and trust in Him. And the Bible says what He does, He lavishes His love and His grace on us, and we are saved, which is incredibly good news for all of us, because all of us are sinners. All of us have made massive mistakes in our lives. All of us start off so far from God that the, the Bible says there is nothing that we could do. No amount of good that we could do can save us. All of our good, the Bible says, is like filthy rags before God. It cannot possibly even come close to saving us when it comes to the holiness and the goodness of God. <laughs> That was not planned. Where were you? <laughs> it's God's grace. It is God's grace. It's God's grace. If you were to ask me, Rich, what's the one thing that you love the most about Jesus? I would say it's God's grace. It is God's grace. You know, when you understand, when you, when you understand how great your sin is, and when you understand how holy God is, and yet he decides to pursue you and to love you and to lavish his goodness on you, you understand there's nothing like the grace of God. Nothing. Nothing like God's grace. Nothing. And when you understand this, it, it changes a lot of things. But one of the things that changes is you realize that we're, we're all the same. We're, we're all in the same boat before a holy God. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter if you grew up in the church and you crossed all your T's and dotted all your I's. It doesn't matter if you grew up in, you know, some hardened gang family. I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if your, 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 your background it doesn't matter, your color. It none of that stuff matters. When you understand that we're all in the same boat, that we're all broken, that we're all sinners, and that we're all desperately in need of God's grace, it changes all of that. But in our story, Peter has forgotten this. He's forgotten. And all of a sudden, he starts to 
he, he just he's, he starts to go back to the life that he came out of. He starts to make it about the, the religious rules and the, the, the regulations and all that kind of stuff. And he's like, okay, uh, yeah, I, I probably should avoid hanging out with this group of people who's not behaving like this group of people thinks they should. And, and he, he just, he misses it. And, and Paul is shocked. And Paul is dismayed. I mean, they're, they're eating together. And just imagine, like, we're all having, like, a potluck. And all of a sudden, uh, we're in this room, and Peter's here. And all of a sudden, Peter just starts hanging off. He's like, he, he's like I'm not going to talk or associate with this group of people. I'm just going to go off and do my own thing with this group of people because I can't be seen with. You'd be, you'd be, you'd be shocked. And, and Paul is absolutely shocked that Peter... The, the rock, the one who's a, a leader in the church, Jesus' right-hand man, he's shocked that he's distancing himself from the Gentiles. And when Paul sees what Peter's doing, he stands up during dinner, and he lets him have it in front of everybody. And it was important that he did it in front of everybody because Peter was acting this way in front of everybody. And and. And it was such a big thing that Peter had was twisting what the gospel is all, all about that Paul's like, I gotta, I gotta correct this in front of everybody. And so the, Paul would later like, tell the story like this, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When I saw that they, so now he's not just talking about Peter, but this other group uh, as well, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, that's a key phrase, they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? He's saying, Peter, you know that the gospel is not about following rules and guidelines and regulations and the checkboxes. Peter, you know the gospel is about the grace of Jesus. You know it's his grace, that, the gift that's, that saves us. Then Paul goes on to say a little bit further down. He says, I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements, all the requirements, the religious rules and regulations. And I died to all that so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there would be, then there was no need for Christ to die. If, if it was really just all about us tidying up our lives and behaving a certain way according to some religious code, religious law, religious guideline, religious system, Paul's saying if it was just all about that, if it wasn't about the grace of God, then there was no need for Jesus to come and die on the cross. You know, I think it's really interesting that of all the things that Paul could have said to sum up Peter's actions, he chose the words, not following the truth of the gospel message. You know, he could have said Peter wasn't loving his enemies like Jesus. He could have said um, Peter was being proud. He could have even said, Peter, you're showing a lot of prejudice and racism. Um, but he didn't, because he knows that something much more basic and profound and deeper is actually happening here. Peter has drifted away from the central message of what Jesus was all about. And it's why Peter, or, or Paul uh, later wrote that what he did was very wrong. He's no longer living as a free man, saved by the grace of God. Instead, he's living as one in kept captivity to the very religious system 
that Jesus came to set them free from. He's forgotten about God's grace, and he's slipped back into thinking that he can earn his way into God's good books as if he could somehow make himself deserving of God's favor. And what Peter needs to do is keep his life centered on the truth of the gospel. Keep his life centered on this message that it's by grace alone that we are saved. And we would do all do well to do the same thing, to be intentional about keeping our lives rooted in the gospel, rooted and centered in the, that, that gospel message that it's by God's grace we're saved by grace through faith alone. Because when you don't, your life as a follower of Jesus will quickly get off the rails. And what happens for a lot of Christians is they start off in faith, and they start off believing that, man, my life, I can't do anything. I'm just, I, I need God because I'm so desperate. And, and they know that there's nothing that they can do, so they just fall into the arms of God's grace. But then they give their life to Christ, and all of a sudden it becomes this thing of works. And if I just work hard enough, and if I just, if I just, if I just like give it my best and just like buckle down and try, 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 try really hard, and just lots of effort. Now there's a place for us, we, we have a part to play in this, but but we what happens is we lose sight that no, it starts with God's grace, and then it keeps going with God's grace. We can only change to become like Jesus and grow as a result of God's grace in our lives. And so we would do well to keep our lives centered and anchored in the gospel. And, and let me just give you a few ways that we learn from Peter in this story how we can stay anchored in the gospel of God's grace. Three ways. Um, the first one is this. Stop pretending to be someone that you're not. You know, at one point, Paul describes what's happening as, in Galatians 2.13, he describes it as Peter's hypocrisy. And that word hypocrisy... Um, if you've been around the church, you probably know this, but it actually comes from the ancient world of theater, and um, where it refers to the act of wearing a mask, pretending to be something that, that you're not. And it's what we all do when we feel like who we are isn't good enough to be accepted. Um, we, put up, we put up a mask. We put a mask on. And Peter here in this story, he's afraid uh, the Jerusalem leaders aren't going to accept him, so he becomes something that he isn't. He stops being a free man um, and becomes, in, he, he submits himself to this religious system. Religion does this to people. If religion says, I'll only be accepted if I look and act a certain way, then I better look and act a certain way, even if that's not what is really going on inside. So we act like we have it all together. You know, we learn to pray these fancy prayers and we do all the religious activities. We smile and we say that it's all fine. We never confess the real struggles that are going on. And when you forget about how God's grace that was big enough to save you from all your sin and shortcomings in the beginning is still big enough to save you and heal you from all your sin and shortcomings today, rather than let the mask down and let God's grace and healing in, you put that mask up thinking it makes you acceptable to God and acceptable to others. And, and I know this. I know a thing or two about wearing the mask. Um, I've had seasons where you could probably call me a professional mask wearer. Or I knew all about how to hide behind a mask of perfection and make it look like the richest world was just hunky-dory, everything's good, everything's fine. And when I did that, it kept me enslaved, it kept me broken, it kept me from flourishing in my faith, but thank God, he came along, and he began to work in my life, he showed up with truth, like Romans 5, 8, in my life, just 
where we learn that it's when we were at our worst, not our best, when we learn, we learn in Romans 5, 8, that when we were at our worst, sinners far from God, that's when he shows up. And when I understood this about who God is, about his love for me and his acceptance of me, the freedom I found was incredible. Now, I'm still tempted to wear the mask, to act like I have it all together. But it's much easier to say no to the mask. I just go back to the gospel. I go back to this message that it's not about, God accepts me because of what Jesus did, not because of everything that I do. And that's not what it's all about. God accepts me, God loves me. And so I can drop the mask. I can be real with what's going on in my life. And when you are able to do that, it brings healing, it brings freedom, it brings grace in a powerful, powerful way. So if you want to stay anchored in the gospel, you got you to stop pretending like you're something that you aren't. And just be real, because you can. God loves you. He's pleased with you. So you can bring all your brokenness to God. You can be in a small group, or you can be at a woman's retreat, and you can be totally free just to share, hey, this is what's going on in my life. It's messy. It's broken. Because God accept the, accepts us and loves us. And our prayer as a church is that you would you would find that from other people as well. That we as a church would be just like Jesus and we would love you regardless of what it is that's going on in your life, regardless of what you've done, that you're going to find us being vessels of God's grace. We don't have to wear masks. Another way to stay anchored in God's grace is to make pleasing Jesus more important than pleasing people. And so at Antioch, Peter was so concerned with pleasing his buddies from Jerusalem that he probably didn't even realize that he was no longer pleasing Jesus. He was no longer pleasing Jesus. It's another problem with religion where we try to earn God's favor rather than living by grace. Religion is about getting people to see how good we are. Whereas living by God's grace, having our life be in him, is about pleasing, it's about pleasing Jesus. It's not about performing. You know, so, so many people spend their lives trying so hard to earn approval. You know, maybe a child just try, tries to earn the approval of their parents, or students trying to earn the approval of their peers, or a spouse trying to earn the approval of their husband or their wife, and, and then they give their lives to Jesus, and it becomes about earning His approval. If I just go to church enough, if I just give enough, if I just sign up to some ministry in the church, and I, I, I start giving my time that way, if I'm just a good enough person, then I'll earn His approval, and He'll accept me. This isn't freedom. It's bondage, and it's not the gospel. The gospel says that the moment you give your life to Christ, He approves you of you so much, He clothes you in His holiness and His righteousness, and He, he adopts you as His son or His daughter. It's such good news. It is such good news. You don't have to perform because Jesus has done all the performing that you'll ever need to have on the cross. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, the work that he did is then applied to our lives. He lived a sinless life. He prayed the price for your sins. All you have to do is put your faith in him. And in that moment, it's like he's that dad in heaven looking down on you saying, this is my son or my daughter, and I am well pleased with them. And when your life is, in, is centered on the gospel and the truth that he approves you, that his grace is enough, you are free to follow him and obey him and to make your life all about pleasing him, but not to get approval. Instead, you live a holy life because he loves and accepts you just the way you are. Um, in the last uh, couple weeks, we lost a 
absolute pillar in the church. Um, some of you heard about author Timothy Keller um, passing away. Uh, he's a pastor out of New York City and has had a, I, can't, I cannot overstate the impact that he's had on my life in just understanding the gospel and what the gospel is all about. But, but he put it like this. He said, religion says if I obey, then God will love and accept me. The gospel says God loves and accepts me for I want to obey. What a big difference. Religion says if I obey, then God will love and accept me. If I, do, if I check off all the religious checkboxes, box, check God will love me and accept me. That's, that's religion. The gospel says God loves me and he accepts me. Therefore, I want to follow him. I want to obey him. I want to please him. I want to lay down my life for him. And then lastly, if you want to stand, stay anchored in God's grace, show others the same grace that Jesus shows you. Show others the same grace that Jesus shows you. Here's the thing with religion. It will always create second-class citizens every single time. We see this in the story of Peter and the Gentiles. There are those who keep the rules, and there's those who break them, who don't follow the rules. There's those who go to church every week and those who don't. There's those who give and those who don't. There's those who have it all together and those who don't. But God's grace means no second-class citizens. We all come before God in the same boat. People that are just broken, messed up, sinners needing his extravagant grace. And, and because of that, we're, we're able to show other in grace that he shows us. Paul shows, up, uh, shows the Antioch church so much grace. Peter, on the other hand, doesn't. Peter, he should, he, he's the one who should know better. I mean, he spent three years with Jesus, watching Jesus just love the people that all society reject, rejected. Peter saw Jesus loving the, the outcast. He saw Jesus loving the broken. He saw Jesus loving the, 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 the impoverished, the sick, every, everybody. Jesus loved them. And, and Peter spent three years watching Jesus essentially walk towards humanity's messiness and brokenness. But now because he doesn't want to look bad, he turns away from people that his, his friends are rejecting. And in the process, what does he do? He sends the message to, to, to everybody there that they don't deserve God's grace because they aren't behaving the right way. They aren't following the religious rules. And you can see how this is just the opposite message that Jesus came to bring, isn't it? It is the opposite message. You know, I don't, where, where are you at? Are there, are there certain groups of people that you disconnect from or you don't associate with because maybe they are different than you or they aren't behaving like you think that they should be, be behaving? Are there certain groups that you, you tend to treat as second-class citizens or like they're outsiders? I'm not just talking about in the church. I'm talking about in the world around us, in our city, in our county, in your school, wherever it is that you go, are, are, do you separate yourself because there's, you have this idea that there's second-class citizens? Know that when we start treating people like outsiders and insiders, we have become detached from the grace of God. We, start, we have lost sight of the grace of God. God calls us to be different. He calls us to follow this example and be a people who are full of grace and truth, just like him full of grace and truth with everybody. And when you keep your life tethered to the gospel of grace, you understand 
who you are and what Christ has done for you, you, you will show others the same grace that Jesus shows you. You will show others the same grace that Jesus shows you. You'll be able to be with, with friends or family, and they'll, be, they'll share something that they've done or that they're going through, and, and you won't reject them. You will be able to show them and lavish them with the same love and grace that Jesus shows you. You'll be with the person in society that, that is a complete outcast, and rather than treat them different, you will be able to show them the same love and grace that Jesus shows you when you keep your life tethered to the gospel. At the end of Paul's rebuke to Peter, he says these words. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And this is a life that is centered on the gospel of grace. And when you're tempted to hide behind the mask, remember what, what Paul says here, that, it's, that the one whose love and acceptance matters the most loves and accepts you just the way you are. All your brokenness, all your failures, all your mistakes, whatever you've got going on, he loves you. You can let the mask down. When you find yourself being more concerned with pleasing people than with pleasing Jesus, you take a moment to remember that, that he's pleased with you, not because of all the good that you've done, but because of all the good that he's done. You're able to make your life about pleasing him. When, when you find that there are people that maybe are different than you or that behave differently or believe differently or act differently than you, or when someone shares something that they're going through that, that, that maybe you've never been there in that place before, when you are tethered to the gospel, you're able to show them the same grace that God show, shows us. Let your life be centered on the gospel. Let it saturate you. Let, it, let God's grace and in, in help, um, let it just flow into every area of your life. And when you do that, you, you'll, you'll not only have a freedom that you've never known before, you'll be able, God's grace and healing will transform you, and as it transforms you, it'll transform the world around you. Let's be people that stay anchored in the goodness and the grace of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace. God, we cannot thank you enough. God, there's a reason why we sing songs that talk about your amazing grace is because it truly is. It truly is. There is, there is nothing that we could ever do, God, that will make you love us less. Nothing. And then, God, we could just do everything right for the rest of our days, and it will not make us love you or make you love us any more than you already do. God, your love for us, your grace, it truly is amazing. And Father, I just want to pray this morning, God, that, that Jesus, you would help, help us. <clears throat> Excuse me. God, would you help us to be people that stay and live our lives anchored in, in the gospel of grace. God, maybe there's somebody here today that has forgotten that it's not about their works. It's not about their religious activity. It's not about that stuff that that wins your approval and your acceptance. God, it's, it's, it's your grace. It's, it's us putting our, our faith in what you've done. And God, when we do that, God, you, you love us and accept us. And God, for the person that has just become stuck in religion and they've lost the joy of their salvation, they've lost the joy of just being in relationship with, with their friend Jesus, 
God, today I pray that the truth of the gospel will be setting them free even right now in this moment. God, I pray that, that men and women and students would walk out of this room today with a whole new freedom, understanding just, just the power and the truth of, of your grace. Lord, I pray for the person, God, in the room who has, God, there's just stuff that's going on in their lives. God, it might be secret sin that's keeping them captive. God, it might just be that they're having some serious doubts about whether or not you're even real. God, it might be that, that they are, God, just dealing with a lot of fear, sadness. God, I don't know what it has, that, what it is, but, but God, they have believed the lie that they got to keep a mask up. They got to keep the mask up to be accepted and to be loved. God, I pray that, that Jesus, you would give them the strength God, to, to let that mask down and start by being real with you. And then, God, in that place, would you move in with your healing, with your grace? God, I pray that they would have the courage to, to, to find some people, some, a community that's going to love them and lavish them with your grace, who they can also be real with. God, I pray that we would be that kind of church where people could just be real with us and they're going to be shown grace in return. And then, God, Lastly, I just want to pray, God, that you would help us, God, to be people that show your grace, God, to our, our church community. God, may we be people that show your grace to the world around us. God, what a difference a church will make in the world when we just start showing your grace to people, your grace and your truth. God, help us to be, help us to be that church. God, here in this city, help us, I pray. God, we just want to in by just telling you, God, how good you are. We're so thankful for all that you've done. God, so thankful, God, for the testimonies, God, of what you've, you, you did at our women's retreat. God, thank you for the healing, God, that you're doing. God, thank you for the freedom. God, thank you for the, the community that you're building. God, just there's so much, God, that we have to be thankful for. And God, we just want to return all the praise, all the honor, all the glory, all the blessings back to you, Jesus. You are worthy. You're worthy of it all, Jesus. pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. How are we doing? We good? All right. Hey, we're going to wrap up by singing one last song. We're going to sing about the grace and the goodness and the hope that we have in Jesus. I'm going to invite you to stand. And don't forget, what are you going to do on the way out the door today? Yeah. <laughs>